You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from today, the 8th of January. And on the show today, UAE astronauts are going to be living on a space station orbiting the moon by 2030. Now, that is thanks to a deal with NASA. The Director General of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre, His Excellency Salam Al-Mari, joined us on the show to explain how they're working on a special airlock system to that lunar gateway. Plus, there was a pretty major space story out of India as well, because technicians there are celebrating the fact that their solar probe has reached the sun's orbit. Now, space writer Pallava Bagla in New Delhi joined us to give us all the details on exactly what that probe will be doing. Meanwhile, the missing door plug that fell off an Air Alaska Boeing 737 MAX 9 has been found. But what does the incident mean for plane safety, specifically with aircraft belonging to our national airlines? We got analysis from aviation consultant John Strickland. And if you lose your job in the UAE and you've signed up to the unemployment scheme a year ago, you are now eligible for a payout. We found out exactly how it'll work with Dana Kansu from Dubai Insurance. And we got all the latest from the Golden Globes Award Ceremony in Hollywood. That's thanks to producer Jennifer Crichton, who kept one eye on it all morning. Mohammed Suleiman, meanwhile, was keeping an eye on all the sports headlines and brought us up to date. We are marking something of an anniversary on the agenda this morning. And that is because the unemployment scheme here in the UAE has come of age. No one's bought a cake, but, you know, it's quite a big deal if you if you look at it from a certain sort of uh, business perspective, I suppose. Uh, because as of now, if you lose your job in the UAE and you signed up a year ago to the plan, you are eligible for a payout. But how does that actually work? So if you lose your job, how do you actually get the payout? And I want to know whether anyone has actually drawn down on their policy yet. What's the date today? It's the 8th of January. They've had eight days to lose their job and eight days to apply. Um, Well, to answer all of those questions, joining me now in the studio is Dana Kansu. She's Manager of Strategic Partnerships for the Dubai Insurance Company. And they oversee that pool of nine companies that are offering cover. Dana, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Georgia. I've got lots to ask you myself, though, (laughs) as you can imagine. I bet it's quite exciting, though, having the policy up and running, because obviously you've been working on it for years. Sure. So uh, Happy New Year first. Thank you for having uh, me again to talk on behalf of uh, Dubai Insurance, uh, uh, who is again managing the IRA insurance pool with regards to the unemployment insurance. So as you said, we started since Jan 1st, uh, 2023. And now after one year, I think everyone is excited to start submitting their claims. But it's good also today to talk about the eligibility uh, criteria that is uh, that is needed in order to be um, to be able to get this uh, compensation. So uh, have you had people claim already? Already there are a uh, few really hundreds of uh, claims hundreds? submitted already over the portal. Um, wow. and, and it's good here to mention that there are few ways to submit your claims. And this is, I think, what the uh, what everyone is uh, interested to hear. Uh, so you can go to the ILOE.ae, www.iloe.ae, uh, click on subscri- uh, on uh, submit a claim. 
and then you can submit uh, the claim uh, directly through the portal. The only thing that you need to enter is your Emirates ID and the mobile number. So this is one. The second channel could be the ILOE call center. So everyone can call on 600 599 um, and, and the call center will be able also to help them to uh, submit their, uh, their claims. Uh, and also ILOE app, similar to the portal, someone can just download the app and submit the claim. So what were those apps or what would the call center ask you to submit other than your Emirates ID and your um, phone number? I imagine you're going to have to lo- upload a sort of you are fired letter. Uh, as of now, no. Oh, so okay. we, so so the way that the the we worked on the portal uh, is to uh, try to support the, the the subscribers as much as we can with the less documents uh, required. So the only thing that you have to uh, to uh, to enter is your Emirates ID and your mobile number. Uh, then once you log into the page, you will see all your information uh, on the screen. Uh, you have to confirm that those information are correct. In case any of those information are incorrect, you just have to uh, uh, write to us or contact our call center to update uh, this information. Uh, what we need, what we are trying to fetch as well is the date of your uh, job loss. Mm. Um, and this is a very important point uh, to know and we will talk about it. It has some eligibility to uh, to be discussed and and you will have to select whether you want your uh, compensation to be ba- to be paid through a bank transfer and you have to enter your bank details. Otherwise, you will have to uh, select an exchange house. Um, which is coming uh, very soon also. So everyone can just go to any exchange center as per the list. Uh, They select and uh, get their compensation. It has some procedures for sure. You have to show a valid Emirates ID or a passport copy in order to be eligible to uh, get the compensation. It sounds very simple, brilliantly simple. But I suppose we do need to get to that big topic, which is the eligibility. If I lost my job on the 30th of December, for example, am I eligible or does it have to be the 1st of January onwards? So so for this year, let's discuss since we started 1st of Jan 2023. So what everyone needs to know is that uh, whenever you lose your job, the, the, the date of the job loss should be uh, after 12 months of consecutive uh, subscription. So if you subscribed on the 1st of Jan, uh, 2023, so if we count the 12 months of consecutive uh, subscription without any interruption in, in, in uh, payments, uh, so you will be eligible for a compensation as of 1st of Jan, 2024 onwards. So if you, do, if you lose your job after 1st of Jan, 2024, you will be eligible for a compensation, especially if you meet the other eligibility criteria as well. But this is a main, uh, a main eligibility that everyone needs to know since we are already receiving uh, some claims. Uh, and and uh, the, let me say the public has to know that this is very important mm. in order to be eligible for the compensation they are looking for. So you have to have had the policy for 12 months. There has to have been no um, blip in your payments, which often there aren't, to be honest, because I think quite often people just pay for the whole year up front because it's not a big number. How about other eligibility elements? So, for example, what if you are fired during your probation period, for example? Does that still count? It counts if uh, if if you already uh, let let us talk now. If you bypass the the twelve consecutive months, yeah. So, okay. so let's take this condition, and then we will talk about the other eligibility. So yes, if you are uh, if you are uh, fi- terminated, let me say, 
then then you will be eligible for a compensation. Uh, also, it's good to mention that in case you lose your job, you have to submit a, your claim within 30 days okay. from the last day of, uh, of, let me say, from the job loss date. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, you need to cancel your work permit or uh, under the uh, under the Mohri or cancel the contract under the Fahar prior submitting your claim because we need to see that you really lost your job. You, can, you are not unemployed, especially if you still have a work permit valid. So this is also um, something that we need to mention um, other things that you there is no uh, that you lost your job uh, due to any reason other than resignation or disciplinary action so this is important so today if you resign from your job you are not eligible for a compensation because it's a resignation at the end of the day and you decided to to resign from your job so so it has to be any any reason other than these two reasons that I mentioned um, so if it's disciplinary so if you get caught nicking something from the stationery cupboard, for example, then you don't get the insurance. You don't get the, cons- okay. you don't get the compensation. And okay. this is uh, important to know. Um, there, are, there are also, I would like to tell everyone that they can also log into the uh, website and they can check the policy terms and conditions where in details those uh, terms and conditions, policy terms and conditions are mentioned. There is a, an eligibility criteria uh, under Section 6, which they can read and, and even they can call our call center for uh, any question related to every single eligibility that they are unable to get. Had a message here from Jawad. He says that I signed up and paid the annual fees on the 1st of March 2023. I was asked to resign last year and I did so. Today is my last day of work. Do I qualify for the unemployment insurance scheme? So in this case, we have two eligibility that are not meant, unfortunately, which is uh, the subscription in March means that you can only, um, you know, submit your claim in March 2024. And a resignation is not is not a valid reason for decompensation under the ILOE. So this is really going to be relevant for people going forward, because I think companies often ask people to resign. Maybe and, and people in the past might have chosen to accept that because maybe it looks better on your CV that you chose to resign. But you mustn't do that if, if, if it means that you're not going to get the money. Just remind me what people get if they are eligible for the unemployment scheme. So uh, there are payout. two categories. That we have two categories under the ILOE. You have category A and category B. Category A for the basic salary that is less or equal to 16,000 uh, dirhams. And you will get a compensation of, um, of 60% of, your, uh, of the average basic salary for the last month's prior to your job loss. So what we do is that for everyone to do the calculation. So you take your basic salary for the last six months prior to your job loss, you get the average and you multiply it by 60%. Okay. And the maximum will be under category A, if you fall under category A, will be 10,000 dirhams uh, per claim up to three months. Okay. And 20,000 dirhams uh, per claim uh, also up to three months under category B. Okay, so coming up in the next few minutes, we're going to we're going to keep you with us if that's okay. We're also going to get into um, the potential fines that you can get if you haven't signed yourself up for this unemployment scheme. And I also want to talk about who should and who shouldn't. So we've got an awful lot to talk to you about in the next sort of 10 minutes.
Welcome back to the show. We are taking your calls and questions this morning on the agenda on the UAE's unemployment scheme. It is officially just over a year old. And that means if you lose your job in the UAE and you signed up to it 12 months ago, you are now eligible for a payout if you lose your job. Now, sticking with me in the studio to answer all your questions is Dana Kansu, Manager of Strategic Partnerships for the Dubai Insurance Company. And we have had a lot of questions come in uh, for you, Dana. One here says, what if, um, what if I find work after a month? So I've signed up to the scheme. I've lost my job. I'm getting money from you guys, but then I uh, but then I find another job and then I lose it again in three months' time or at the end of my probation. Can I re uh, reclaim against the insurance policy? Again, uh, Georgia, so let's take this condition uh, saying that, for example, that this person has been subscribed for 12 consecutive months and this eligibility has been met. So let's say he lost his job, okay? He, co- he claimed. We paid him one month, one month of claim compensation then he found another job then he lost this job within the same period of a certificate of insurance he is still eligible uh, to uh, receive the other uh, two remaining uh, claims so he can for sure resubmit a claim under the new job that he lost and he will be eligible for a compensation how many months of compensation can you get total in With, each year within certificate uh, within one certificate of insurance you are eligible for um, three months compensation And it can be at different times. Yeah, it can be different times, yes. And you are eligible for 12 months of compensation during your uh, life in UAE. Let me say your uh, job journey in UAE. Oh, so 12 months total. So say I live here for 12 12 years or, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah, Yeah, I can get 12 months of compensation. But obviously each year you need to renew your insurance. Olga has written in saying, hi, if my policy started in April 2023 and I was terminated in January 2024, can I claim the insurance coverage when it gets to April? Uh, no, because the, 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 loss, uh, the, the loss of a job has happened in uh, December, we said, or yeah. no, sorry, in January. It, yeah. And already uh, she didn't complete the uh, 12 uh, consecutive months of uh, subscription since the day she uh, subscribed. Yeah, so you do need to have that one year of subscription exactly. before you are uh, valid, before you're eligible. Exactly. Uh, Yashesh says, uh, my wife joined her job on November the 6th last year when she when should she sign up for the unemployment scheme as soon as possible if she's already in the country as soon as possible she have to uh, subscribe for any new entry they have uh, four months um, to subscribe they have this this uh, grace period let me say uh, to subscribe to the ILOE and if you it's up to you individually to sign up to it, isn't it? Yes, it's the full responsibility of the employee. The employers are, let me say, they are not responsible, but also uh, they can support their employees by uh, by giving awareness about the ILOE and how to subscribe. And there are a lot of companies who decided, as we said many times earlier, uh, to subscribe on behalf of the uh, of the employees. And some of them also offer it as part of their sustainability, let me say, initiative or human resources initiatives, similar to any medical insurance or uh, maybe life insurance that they offer. To or maybe employees. even gym membership, if maybe. you're very lucky, <laughs> if you're very fortunate. <laughs> uh, although that happens a lot less with contracts in the UAE because now it's a great place to live. Um, uh, and what happens if you don't sign up? There are fines, aren't there? 
There are fines. So in case you don't sign up, so and again, this is under the Ministry of Human Resources and Emeritization. But uh, as everyone know by now, uh, there is a fine of 400 dirhams if you don't subscribe and a 200 uh, dirham fines in case you don't pay uh, your due within uh, 90 days, uh, within 90 days, and which will lead to the cancellation of your certificate of insurance. Okay, so I've lost my job. I've claimed and I'm getting the insurance. And then I'm like, well, I've lost my job. I think I might just go home. Can I still carry on getting my insurance payout? So one of the main eligibility criteria is to be legally present in the UAE in order to be able to uh, get your compensation. So it's very important that in case someone uh, loses his, her job in the UAE to stay in the UAE to be able to get the compensation because the main, let me say, the main initiative of the unemployment insurance under the Ministry of Human Resources and Emeritization is to retain the talent in the country. And this is why uh, this, this, uh, this uh, let me say, the scheme mm. has been uh, implemented. Could you go on holiday during that time? You can go and come back. You can go and come back. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, Jenny's got in touch uh, on 4001. She says that she's a nanny. Is she eligible for the unemployment scheme? Uh, so for the nannies, they are mainly exempted. So they fall under the exempted categories. We have a few exempted categories, which are the uh, domestic helpers like the nanny, the investors that uh, that work in the same company that they invested in. There are the juveniles for sure. There are the retirees uh, who are entitled to a pension and the temporary contract workers. So once people claim, so they put in their insurance number, they put in various sort of details that you require on the Only website. Only two details. So we, again, we made it as simple as it can you be. Did. So Yeah, so you can just sign in using the uh, Emirates ID and a mobile number and the mobile number. And you can just log in, check the information. If everything is fine, it will take, I, I think, around five, six clicks and you will be able to submit a claim. Uh, as soon as you submit a claim, you will receive an email and an SMS that will share with you the reference number of your claim. And within the process of the uh, of the of the claim, um, uh, you, you will be able to receive emails and SMS to the registered uh, mobile number. For example, if we check that the claim um, needs some missing documents, uh, you will be receiving a notification that please log into the uh, to your uh, to your uh, to, to your user and upload the. XYZ documents that are required or for example that your claim has been approved your claim has been transferred is ready for collection so every single step of the claim process you will be notified uh, notified with Patrick's written in with an interesting question um, he says if you lose your job the company will cancel your visa so how can you stay in the country to claim for the three months that you're eligible for? It's a very interesting question. So if you lose your job, depends on the category that you are under. Uh, you, you can stay in the country for 30 or 60 days. And you can also try to get a tourist visa. Yeah. So even if you are on a tourist visa, we will be able to pay you. So the most important thing is to be legally present. Okay. So you have to legally be present in the UAE in order for us to be able to to give you the compensation. So it might be that you have to do a visa run in order to, exactly. to, to do that. But exactly. if your plan is to stay in the country and look for more work, 100%. then you know it's not a big deal to just drive up to exactly. Oman quickly. Yeah. Just go quickly.
Um, or there's other places as well that you can go, can't you? Mm. Um, Dana, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank you so much. You've answered all the questions and more as they came in. So thank you so much for your time. We will have to have you back uh, at some stage because I'd be really interested to know when you actually start. Have you started paying money money out We yet? have received the claims. So we are studying the claims. And for sure, if whoever is eligible, he will get his compensation. Yeah. So it's very, uh, very cool. soon, hopefully. It's very cool. And if you want to sign up for the scheme, just a quick reminder, it is ILO. E dot AE. Yes. Isn't that fantastic? You've been listening to the voice there of Dana Kansi, Manager of Strategic Partnerships for the Dubai Insurance Scheme. We've been talking all about that unemployment scheme that was introduced about a year ago. Thank you so much for your time. It's been Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you, Georgia. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Welcome back to the agenda. Huge news broke over the weekend because the UAE has signed a deal with the US to partner on developing a space station to orbit the moon. General gist is that UAE will provide a special airlock door. It's to go on NASA's lunar gateway. Uh, And there's a bit of a quid pro quo deal going on there uh, because essentially that airlock will give Emirati astronauts not just literal access to the craft because they'll be getting off a space ship onto the space station using the airlock but of course they will be uh you know, allowed to join the space, the astronaut team as a consequence as well. Now, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson has explained how the two countries will be working on the Artemis lunar program. NASA and the United Arab Emirates are taking a giant leap for our two countries, for Artemis and for the future of space exploration. NASA's Gateway Program will establish humanity's first space station, and it'll be around the moon, allowing astronauts to live and work at the moon, then Mars, and beyond. He also got into the details of the exact involvement of the Emiratis. NASA is thrilled that the UAE will provide the crew and science airlock. It's going to be for the Gateway. The airlock will allow crews to conduct groundbreaking science in deep space, like studying deep space radiation. Joining me now to give us more details on that plan is the Director General of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre, His Excellency Salam Al-Mari. It's been at least a couple of months, uh, (laughs) Your Excellency. Lovely to have you join us on the line. How are you and uh, Happy New Year? Hi, George. Yeah, the last time I spoke to you was last year. So Happy New Year. And uh, uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Especially when you've got such exciting news stories. Tell me a little bit more about this Lunar Gateway, what it is and what it'll be doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is uh, massive for the country. And also, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty much global news. So uh, uh, if we're looking at, you know, the International Space Station where Sultan and Niadi spent six months, uh, that one, you know, was built in the uh, 90s operational since the year 2000 and probably will come to its end of life by 2030, uh, possibly before that. So it's really been extended till that period of time. So the question is, you know, what comes after the International Space Station? And this is what is coming after the International Space Station. So the partners that built the ISS have now committed uh, over the past couple of years to build the Gateway Station. It's smaller than the ISS, uh, still about half the size of a football field, so quite large. But this one will be orbiting the moon. So instead of orbiting 400 kilometers above Earth, it will be orbiting 400,000 kilometers away. So it's quite far. It's uh, 
on a very uh, different orbit around the moon. What the announcement today is that the UAE has joined this partnership to build the space station. So we will be building a part of it and then launching that part. And that part then will be uh, integrated and uh, installed as part of the station. Then, of course, we will be operating that part over the, the coming 20 years. So we will be one of the partners that is uh, building the station. And then, of course, that will give us access to send our astronauts to the moon and to the station itself. Really huge deal, in particular when we talk about your other partners in this deal, because the other partners have been involved in space for many, many decades, where, of course, in comparison, the UAE is, is, is quite a, a new starter, uh, and, and has, but has made incredible strides as a consequence. Yes, I mean, uh, you know, the partners today are, of course, NASA is the, is the, uh, is the major partner of the station. Uh, then you've got the European Space Agency, ESA, uh, which involves uh, pretty much the whole of Europe. Uh, and then you have uh, JAXA from Japan and you have Canada who are building robotics. Uh, now, the UAE uh, has got about two years, two decades experience in space, which is small uh, compared to uh, the rest of the countries. Uh, but we've been able to build uh, really a strong reputation, strong capabilities as a country that uh, you know, does what it says it's going to do. And does it differently? Does it uh, in a in a very efficient manner? And I think uh, the, the, that experience over the past 20 years of working with the international space partners and space agencies and really showcasing what the UAE can bring to the table has had an impact. And that impact really now shows in us uh, partnering with these uh, very large countries, getting their trust and uh, really going in and uh, providing a key component uh, and being really uh, an active player in human spaceflight, which is what we always say we want it to be. And I think this is our strategy and this is what we've been pushing forward to. Talking about human spaceflight, uh, this craft is due to be built within a decade. Obviously, you currently have four astronauts, although one of them recently got quite a good job over the weekend um, as Minister of Youth. Um, so, so you've got three astronauts, I presume, left. Uh, although, but, but the thing is, is that it's going to be in a decade's time. So clearly, you're going to have to continue the astronaut programme. I, I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions, but I presume being an astronaut is, is something of a young man or young woman's game? Yeah, I mean, um, well, exactly. I mean, this is all related to human spaceflight. So mm. sending, you know, building this and then sending it, uh, the purpose of that is that you will be sending your astronauts to install this uh, gateway airlock and uh, to uh, conduct science and conduct missions. So there's operational elements, there's training, and there's, of course, your astronauts. So uh, just to also... Uh, uh, put some clarity on what you said. Yeah, you know, Sultan uh, was assigned as Minister of Youth, and I think that's something we're all very proud of uh, over the weekend. And I think that really showcases the the impact of his mission on youth in, in the UAE and the region. Uh, he will still be an active astronaut, which is something that I'm very happy about. And so we can say that we have four astronauts who are going to be training uh, for Gateway. Their training is going to be different uh, from what they've been training for the International Space Station because it's a completely different uh, station. It is a completely different uh, rocket that takes you there. It's a completely different uh, capsule, a spacecraft that takes you there. And it's a different orbit. It's deep space. It's uh, different levels of radiation. So they will be training for all of that. And of course, one of these four, and I think all of them have an equal chance, will be, a will be flying for our first mission to the moon.
even though it's a, a, a decade away, potentially, because... Uh, uh, you, I think it's less than a decade. So, I mean, less? we're 2024. Yeah. And, you know, we're looking at 2030. So it's, uh, oh, okay, it's yeah. the next decade. But, you know, we're getting close to that next decade. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I think it's six, seven years away. So not too far. But in space terms, that's relatively short. Tell me why the moon? Like, why, why this focus on the moon instead of the Earth, for example? Because obviously, as you mentioned earlier, International Space Station orbited the Earth. This one's going to be orbiting the moon. Is there, is there a lot more that we need to find out about it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So I think uh, you know, uh, when we look at human spaceflight, I mean, a lot of it is uh, pushing the boundaries of what we can do as humans. So when we're living around Earth, for uh, you know, two decades continuously in the International Space Station. Part of that is science, part of that is education, part of it is outreach, part of it is experiments. But a lot of it is, can humans actually live for long periods and thrive in space and work in space? Because the more we learnt around Earth, it's very close, so if there are emergencies, you can come back, the more then we can say that we can go further. Now, of course, you know, as humans, you know, we're explorers, our aspirations are always to see what's beyond. So we want to go to the moon and then Mars. We've never been able to send people beyond the moon. The last time somebody went to the moon was about 53 years ago. There's only 12 people that have ever landed on the surface of the moon. So that is something that is not easy to do. And it happened be- before we were all born, most probably, or a, a big percentage of us. So today, the, the missions that we're looking at are going to the moon sustainably with a station and then having continuous Uh, missions to the surface from there and then using that station as a launch pad in the 2030s and 40s to go to mars so if you're in if you're in and around the moon it would be much easier for you to launch from there and go to mars because you don't have earth's gravity pulling you back so the idea is to further our knowledge to go further as humans to further that exploration and of course all the other benefits of science exploring the cosmos understanding the moon better will come as part of that as well so just quickly, will you be able to, uh, I mean, I use this phrase colloquially, hop from the lunar gateway to the moon and back again? Or do you need another spacecraft in order to be able to land on the moon? Yes, I mean, to answer your question simply, that's the purpose of the lunar gateway. So okay. with the Apollo missions, everything just went directly there and then had to come back. Now we have a permanent presence around the moon and you can just go back and forth and fly back and forth to the moon's surface and back to gateway. Very cool indeed, as ever. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. You've been listening to the voice there of Salam Al-Mari. He is Director General of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre. And yes, huge congratulations go out, of course, uh, to Sultan Al-Niyadi, who's been appointed Minister of Youth. Good news that he still gets to be an astronaut, though. Uh, So thank you very much indeed. Yeah, we will be uh, keeping a very close eye on that story, as you can imagine. But for the meantime, uh, thank you very much indeed to Salam Al-Mari, a busy man who always very very, very kindly uh, gives us lots of time on the agenda or here on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, Indians are celebrating yet another success story in the field of space exploration. And that is because over the weekend, their solar observation mission finally entered the sun's orbit. It's had a four-month journey. It's travelled 1.5 million kilometres from Earth. It was launched back in September. And the general gist is that it's going to study coronal mass ejections. 
nope, I've got no idea what they are either. So we're going to find out now uh, with space writer Palava Bagler, who is joining us on Teams from New Delhi. Palava, thank you so much uh, for coming on the agenda this morning to give us some much needed clarity on the role of this solar observation probe. Give me a sense of, um, first of all, you know, what it's what it's going to be doing there. My pleasure, and thanks a lot for having me on your show. The Indian Solar Observatory, Aditya L1, reached its desired orbit and has started functioning from there. And this solar observatory is going to do several things. One, it is going to monitor space weather. It is going to study the sun and also be like an insurance policy an early warning system for the 50 plus satellites which India has in space. Uh, you asked what is uh, uh, coronal mass ejections. They are essentially solar storms and these solar storms can be very devastating for satellites and for power systems and for telecom systems on Earth. So one needs to keep a watch as to when the sun is going to get angry and throw these solar storms at Earth. And when that when that happens, the Aditya L1 satellite, along with a couple of others which are already in orbit from NASA and ESA, uh, would help uh, give early warning to not just Indian, but global satellites. So it's a, it's a wonderful satellite. It's a made in India satellite. It's made by Indian scientists. And today, India is really over and above and looking at the sun very closely. So India did a moon walk with its Chandrayaan-3 satellite, which landed, soft landed near the south pole of the moon and now did a sun dance with the Aditya L1 satellite. So Indians are really having a wonderful new year with a moon walk and a sun dance all thrown in for good measure. I have to say, uh, India has really made the most extraordinary strides when it comes to space exploration over the last 12 months. Some really staggering steps. Just how difficult a mission was this solar orbiter? See, one, it took 10 years to make the satellite at the URR Satellite Centre in Bangalore. So it was a complex mission to put together, essentially because there were so many different scientific institutions from India which were collaborating and putting it together. Uh, But finally, it was launched in early September from India's spaceport on the coast of Bay of Bengal. And it has been over a four-month journey from the Indian subcontinent to the place 1.5 million kilometers away, nearer the sun, but away from the Earth. It has been a treacherous uh, drive, but then Indian scientists have mastered the art of doing things on their maiden uh, missions. India caught the orbit of Moon in its maiden mission. India caught the orbit of Mars in the maiden mission with Mangalyaan. And now with the Aditya L1 satellite, India has got the L1 Langrangian point halo orbit on the maiden attempt. So it is it is a, a difficult task. 
if it were easy many nations would make uh, solar observatories and put them there it's certainly not easy and the indians did that and did that with aplomb absolutely fantastic to have something uh, so good to celebrate so soon in the brand new year palava bagler there space writer eminent space writer very well respected uh, around the world uh, based in new delhi thank you so much for your time we really appreciate your analysis uh, on the launch of that well the arrival of that brilliant uh, solar observation mission awful lot of space news around at the moment um, it's really interesting to see how we seem to have entered this new sort of golden age of, of space after many decades. In fact, as you just heard His Excellency Salam al-Mari a little earlier commenting on the fact that it was probably before many of us were born that the Americans last landed on the moon. Uh, But it certainly feels like we're going to see quite a bit more of that over the coming decades. I think our children will see a huge amount of space exploration as well. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Hello there, welcome back to The Agenda. Right, let's take a look at flight safety on the show now, because nearly 200 Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes are now grounded in the United States after that extraordinary incident uh, that took place on Friday. Basically, part of an Alaska airline plane's fuselage fell off. (laughs) It's not something you want to happen mid-flight, let's be honest. It left a gaping hole in the fuselage. No one was seriously hurt, thank goodness, but a teenager who was sitting next to the window had his shirt quite literally sucked off as the plane lost pressure. Now, Elizabeth Lee was on the plane. The mom had to grab onto her son and drag him back onto the plane which I can't even imagine how that felt. Nicholas Hock was also a passenger on the flight. I think from start of the the flight to when we turned around and landed, I think it was only something like 20 or 30 minutes of time, but it felt like four hours of time. So, you know, thank God none of us were hurt. Joining us now to talk through the implications of this incident is the aviation consultant John Strickland, a man who has been kept incredibly busy over the last few days, uh, including this morning, because we've had a bit of an update this morning, haven't we, John? The, The missing bit has been found. That's right. I think a teacher uh, in uh, Oregon found that in his backyard. So that's that's really positive news because it's going to be a, a key element of the, the uh, accident investigation. We need to see, obviously, not just what remains of the, uh, uh, the the door plug frame on the fuselage, but the door itself. And then they can really start to look at uh, exactly what happened to cause this failure and this uh, separation of this part from the plane. Now, of course, everyone in the UAE, as soon as they heard this story, uh, I mean, you selfishly think, well, how many of these planes have we got, you know, flying in our skies? How many have we got belonging to our national uh, aviation, our national um, uh, aircraft, but our airlines, basically? The good news is from our General Civil Aviation Authority here is that none of the national airlines in the UAE is actually operating any of these specific planes that are affected by the technical malfunction. So that's good news for us, but, but you know, not so much for everyone else around the world. Well, j- just a slight, a slight correction on that, uh, George. I mean, Fly Dubai flies uh, 52737 MAX 8. That's the same family, but a different type. They do have three 
737 MAX 9s, and this is where we get into the more technical, subtle differences. They have uh, a deactivated door behind the wing as opposed to what is called a door plug. And it took me some time to get my own head around this in the last couple of days. Basically, uh, if you look at photos that are and about of the, the Alaska plane when it got back down on the ground, you can see what looks like a very clean separation of a, a type of a door frame. But that was actually something called a plug. Uh, so because uh, that is an optional emergency exit, it's not a door which would ordinarily be used for boarding and disembarking a plane. If an airline doesn't opt to have the highest number of uh, permissible seats in its aircraft, it doesn't need to have that uh, activated. It can deactivate it or have this plug put in place, uh, which is the case for Alaska. Fly Dubai actually has a deactivated door which is uh, technically uh, something structurally different to what we saw. So they, they do have a small number of aircraft in the fleet, but you're right, uh, there's a, a difference there. So they are not covered by the need to uh, inspect their aircraft in particular. What are the implications of this for, for Boeing? Because, I mean, you feel bad for them. They, they haven't had a, a very good run recently, have they? On, 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 I don't want to say their safety record, but, but it sort of is that, isn't it? <laughs> Well, the, the, the challenge uh, they face now is that uh, this this accident comes uh, against the backdrop of the, the, the Max's earlier entry into service when we sadly did see two fatal accidents in early 2019, which resulted ultimately in the whole worldwide fleet being grounded for 18 months by all safety regulators uh, while they got to the, the bottom of what caused those crashes. It, it, it was the root cause was a, a software problem, something called M. MCAS, a flight control system used by pilots on the flight deck. And, of course, the the objective was not only to find what the problem was, but to put it completely right and then to get that aircraft back into service to rehabilitate the aircraft. In effect, that was done successfully and painstakingly. And since that time, there's been a good in-service record for the, the MAX fleet. But uh, the... the uh, the investigation and the, the media coverage of that time with Boeing uh, really caused massive damage to the trust uh, and confidence in Boeing as a manufacturer. All, all sorts of elements came to light in that investigation process about processes and behaviours which frankly should not have ever been happening. So coming back up to today, the company will want to make sure that it gets to the, the root of this particular problem, gets it put right as quickly as possible in order not to go back down that uh, a very difficult path uh, to, to the, uh, the position they found themselves in with the, the two earlier fatal crashes. So what are next steps? Because obviously Americans in particular are facing serious disruption at the moment because of the number of these Boeing 737 MAX 9s that are just grounded at the moment. I think it's 171 to be exact. How soon do you think we could see those planes back in the sky? We've seen a, a small number of uh, Alaska Airlines planes put back into service. Uh, and it's uh, worthy of mentioning as well, this was a very new aircraft. This was only two months off the production line. And while this should never happen with any any well-maintained aircraft in service, no matter what age it is, certainly it's not something that uh, uh, can be accepted on a, a practically brand new aircraft. But Alaska has the largest fleet. They had 65 aircraft. Some of those are back in service. That's then followed by uh, United Airlines, who had grounded their fleet. We're waiting uh, to get a specification of of uh, checks that are needed on, on those aircraft remaining that have not uh, uh, been excluded from a need to check 
so far but because the majority of aircraft are in the u.s fleet there'll be very little impact uh, worldwide I and mean, as i mentioned fly dubai has three aircraft we have turkish airlines who relatively nearby have about five of these aircraft so numbers are limited but yes within the u.s uh, many more flight cancellations have happened and some will continue John Strickland, always fantastic to get those insights from you. Thank you very much for your clarity there on the situation with Fly Dubai in particular. You've just been listening to the voice there of John Strickland. He's an aviation consultant and very much our go-to guy when it comes to anything aviation uh, safety focused or indeed travel for that matter. Uh, So, John, thank you very much indeed for your time. Over the last few hours, the Golden Globes has been taking place over in Hollywood. So we're going to turn our attention there now for this. And the Golden Globe goes to... Yeah, that's right. It's the 81st. Oh, no, he's still talking. Karen Coffin. Killian Murphy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Thank you very much. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so <laughs> I just talked all the way over it. But that is the 81st Golden Globes that have now been handed out. Producer Jennifer Crichton has been following proceedings and joins me now. Jen, it looks like it was quite uh, contra- uncontroversial. That's right. I mean, with the exception of a few jokes that fell pretty flat in the opening monologue from comedian Joe Coy, it does seem to have been like very popular choices that have been selected. There was a very frosty response in that opening monologue to a joke about Taylor Swift's relationship. I think it's safe to say she had more fans in the room than Coy did. But after that, it all seemed to be very sort of convivial. Everyone was very much patting each other on the back, grinning from ear to ear. There were no kind of frosty moments other than that. And the awards themselves seemed to go to largely who we were expecting them to go to and popular choices in the room. Now, Oppenheimer was the big winner of the night. Five awards picked up there, including Best Director for Christopher Nolan. He told the audience the only time he'd previously collected a globe was on behalf of the late Heath Ledger. I thought it'd be simpler, uh, excepting for myself, but as a director, of course, as I stand here, I suddenly realise I can only accept this on behalf of, of people. As directors, we... We bring people together and we try and get them to give it their, their best. And it certainly seems like he succeeded because two of his stars, Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr., both received acting gongs for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, respectively. Murphy was full of praise for the director. I knew the first time that I walked on uh, a Chris Nolan set that it was different. I could tell by the level of uh, rigour, the level of focus, the level of dedication... The complete lack of any seating options for actors, (laughs) that it was, I was in the hands of a visionary director. Now, hilariously, he did his speech with a bright red nose after his wife sort of over-enthusiastically transferred his lipstick across, her lipstick across his face when his win was announced. She sort of launched herself at him and he came up, tried to wipe his face and started his speech by going, have I still got lipstick on my face? And everyone sort of went, yes. (laughs) And he went, oh, I'm just going to leave it then. So he did the whole speech looking a bit like Rudolph. He also made reference to the fact that of the six stars nominated for the Best Actor Award, three of them were Irish. Uh, Oh, to all all my fellow nominees, if you're Irish or not, you're all legends. You're stunning work. I salute you. Now, another very popular choice in the room was, of course, Downey Jr. He said he'd waited a very long time for that honour. 
Dozens of folks have come up to me uh, uh, since the summertime saying that I was, I quote, unrecognizably subtle as Leonard Strauss. To my fellow nominees, let's not pretend this is a compliment. This is a first time. This is more of a most improved player thing. It wasn't all about Oppenheimer, though. Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy went to Emma Stone for Poor Things, which also won the Best Film in the same category. Meanwhile, Killers of the Flower Moon star Lily Gladstone began her acceptance speech by speaking Algonquin language Blackfoot, making history as the first Indigenous woman in the show's 81-year history to win the Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama Award. Golden, Golden Globes, of course, recognises TV as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's little question. The other big winner of the night was our favourite binge watch of recent years, Succession. Love it. Michael McFadden picked up Best Supporting Actor as Tom Wamsgans, which, I mean, you couldn't pick anyone else, could you? It's so good. That argument they have in the third, oh. in whatever, was it the third season where they have that argument? The last season, wasn't the it? The last season. It was amazing. amazing. And of course, Sarah Snook got Best Actress for her turn as his wife, Chevroy, the other side of that act argument but it was Kieran Culkin who was named best actor for his role as Roman Roy who seemed most surprised by the honour and he really kind of made a lot of fun out of his speech he even poked fun at fellow nominee Pedro Pascal I was nominated for Golden Globe like 20 years ago and when that moment passed I sort of remember thinking I'm never going to be back in this room again and uh which was fine whatever um Thanks to Succession, I've been in here a couple times, it's nice, but I sort of uh, accepted I was never going to be on the stage, so this is a nice moment. Suck it, Pedro. Sorry. (laughs) Mine. (laughs) You get an indication there that his personality is slightly similar to his character in Succession, don't you? I mean, they always said with Succession that the the cast got to sort of ad-lib quite a lot, and it has been said that a lot of Roman Roy's best lines were kind of off the cuff and watching that speech you really understood how I mean he started his speech by accidentally burping it was really quite the whole thing was kind of hilarious he's, he's to be honest he's actually awkward he's genuinely really, quite genuinely an awkward person awkward. amazing or just think of, think of the fact that he's Macaulay Culkin's brother as well which is also adds a sort of certain Hollywood twist to the whole thing Jen absolutely brilliant we're out of time but thank you so much for that fantastic summary of everything that's been going on on uh, during the Golden Globes award ceremony uh, of course the next story is what are they going to get up to at the after parties and that is what's going on right now This is The Agenda, Georgia Tolly here, and I'm delighted to say there's a bit of a blast from the past in the studio right now because I've been joined by Mohammed Suleiman, producer of The Business Breakfast, but also something of a sports fan, it's fair to say, and you're here to do our sport today. Hey, Welcome. Georgia. Yes, thank you. A bit of a the, nostalgia. Oh, I'd like it very much. If yeah. I had been quick enough, I would have found <laughs> Return of the Mac and I would have shouted Mo over the word Mac. That would have been my, my ring entrance yes, it could to have do been. the sports for you today. Just... How has 2024 been for you so far, Georgia? Um... In one word. Long. Long. <laughs> yeah. It's been like a week. It feels like we're it's like been... a week. We're like eight days into the new year. It feels like, yeah, yeah I, I've, I've hit my stride. There we nice. go. That's the nicest okay. way of putting it. Hit my stride. Went to Mariah Carey over the weekend. I saw those photos on Instagram. Yeah. How was that? I, I mean, contrary to what lots of other people are saying, I think she nailed it. I think she was amazing. Amazing. Have you ever performed before? Or no, no, first time. No, I got, I got. I'm not even that much of a fan. I got goosebumps <laughs> when she came on stage. Wow. Okay. Very susceptible. My husband, who was sitting next to me, 
Less enthusiastic, it's fair to say. Um, but Did you drag him along to it? Well, yeah, he was non-negotiable. <laughs> you don't I, have a choice. I have my ways. Of course of you getting do. what I want. Of course you do. Uh, so yeah, he very kind. But oddly enough, they um, it's the sad, it's down on Sadiat Island. Mm, yeah. And it's called Sadiat Nights. And they've got Pacelli. Coming as well. Wow, is that the Italian? The, the Italian opera singer. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Um, he's got a blind, of, right? Uh, he is. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Partially blind, I think. Uh, yes, something yeah, to that yeah. effect. Okay. Beautiful singer. He's mm. coming. Um, and I was looking at. I, I, I enjoyed the whole experience so much that I looked to see who else is coming, and they've got Sting. I said, I told myself I wasn't going to say this on the radio <laughs> until I booked the tickets. Don't book tickets till I have because I haven't booked them yet, and I want to get good seats. But if you give me another hour or so, then you can book them. But yeah, I think I'm going to book Sting as well because nice. I mean. And it really got me thinking, and we're going to actually, don't you do this on the Business Breakfast tomorrow. This is a problem with talking to a Business Breakfast show producer. We're just sharing ideas. That's what we're, we're doing. We're not sharing we're ideas. We're just sharing this best practice. This is my idea, and I booked a guest already. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk about how much these big legacy stars get paid to do those types of concerts. We already talked about it. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> we this... talked about it once last year, I remember. You don't get to do this. In and Isa's listening now as well. Isa's just going to book them first thing in the morning if you don't. I've got two Business Breakfast show producers in the room with me. Anyway, so tomorrow at 11.45, we're going to find out how much they get paid. Uh, because we, my husband and I were sitting there in the gaps. Like my husband used to work as a banker. His his interest is in the financials, maybe rather yes, than the, the business, rather than the singing. Yeah, he was yeah. like, "What do you reckon she got paid?" <laughs> so we settled around the five mil number. Okay. So we're going to find out whether that's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sting. What do you reckon Sting gets Ooh. paid for an hour on stage oh, on set in Sadia Island? It's impossible to know. It's so hard to know. But yeah. you know what's Double brilliant? Yeah. People do know, oh, and we're going do. to speak to them on the we're show. We're going to reveal all tomorrow. I'm going to tune into that. Eleven forty-five. We'll we'll let you have that one it's okay thank you very much enjoy that segment don't you go there and also steve from bainbridge steve bainbridge from altamu he's not available he's traveling i asked him first he's a business breakfast guest he is yours (laughs) i I did try him first it's funny we get steve on uh almost religiously once a year to talk about super bowl yes that's true and he's very good on it yeah he's brilliant because he's canadian as well right so he sort of has that north american uh background but he talks about super bowl ads and how much these big companies pay yeah to get 30 seconds of fame during the super bowl it's a fascinating topic it really really is it's really Really interesting interesting, yeah so we will get into that let's turn our attention though to sport (laughs) which is what you're properly meant to be here for rather than a sort of a mocking exchange of my show's better than yours jostling yeah yeah friendly fire friendly fire my show's better (laughs) my my show's better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yes what's we going on we had the Dubai Marathon this weekend which was very exciting of course uh, that was at the end of my road ruined my traffic but really the big story globally I suppose was football yeah football and a lot of a lot of talk Georgia in English football about players who are going to be unavailable for the next sort of five or six weeks because we have the African Cup of Nations starting this week and we have the Asia Cup starting this week as well so a lot of these big Premier League clubs are going to be missing some of their star players. And it's a funny sort of conundrum because there is a bit of a break in the Premier League schedule for the World Cup. Yeah. There's a bit of a break for the Euros. Yeah. There's a bit of a break for the UEFA Cup as well. But no break for the Africa Cup of Nations. Okay, so for example, Liverpool will be missing their main man, Mohamed Salah, for up to six weeks. If Egypt make it to the finals of the Africa Cup of Nations, they don't have the services of their star striker for up to eight or nine matches. So last night was Liverpool's first sort of litmus test of how they will do without him. They were playing Arsenal in the FA Cup and Liverpool came out, uh, came out flying. Uh, they beat Arsenal 2-0 uh, 
uh, over at the Emirates Stadium in North London. There was an own goal in the 80th minute, and uh, Luis Diaz scored the second goal for Liverpool in the 95th minute as well. So Liverpool, a lot of, a lot of sort of going to be saying about how are they going to react without their star striker. But so far, they've done okay. So they've uh, progressed through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. Here is their boss, Jurgen Klopp, who had earlier joked about how he hopes Egypt get, get, get knocked out early. <laughs> right, so I can't read anything there, but I know that this league is crazy difficult, but you have to find solutions. There are a thousand ways to win a game. We just have to find one. But it's unfortunately much easier, sounds much easier than it is, um, but for tonight it worked. So it's sort of a good thing as well for Liverpool that they can sort of test their bench strength. How are these players going to play without Mo Salah in their ranks? Of course, there are other players who are missing as well. Uh, so Liverpool 2-0 winners there. The other team that was in action last night were the FA Cup defending champions. Of course, Manchester City won the big trouble last year, right? They won the Champions League, they won the Premier League, and they won the... Georgia. No, oh my God, no idea. <laughs> I, love, I love doing this. Literally no idea. They, they won the FA Cup as well. Right? That's so they, true. They won the treble. They did win the treble. Yes, they did very uh, well indeed. Can they come back in, in force again? Yes, but the other thing, Georgia, about Manchester City is that they are completely unaffected by this Africa Cup of Nations and Asia Cup. They have no players who are going to be missing out. I see. And and they have the return of two of their big players. So Kevin De Bruyne, who is their star midfielder, he's returned, as has the main man. Who's the main man, Georgia? Mr. Nordic Viking. Oh, I like him. Erling Haaland. Yeah. Where did he go? He was injured. Oh, okay. He was injured for a little while, but he has just returned from injury, um, and they marked their return to injury with a huge 5-0 win yesterday over Huddersfield Town. So Manchester City, with a very, very strong start to their defence, they won 5-0. Here is their boss, Pep Guardiola, speaking after that huge 5-0 win over Huddersfield last night. That's why it's so important to have him back for a long injury, and I'm pretty sure Phil, uh, Kevin felt last game it happened to again, how people love him, how the people is in love with him will be eternal. This mutual respect will be forever. People are in love with Kevin De Bruyne because he's so good. Yeah, he, he, fair I mean, enough. The, the, for, for the neutral football fan, Kevin De Bruyne is like a dream. That guy is just sort of the textbook definition of what a footballer should be like. But he actually got injured in the finals of the Champions League last year. It, literally in the middle of the finals, he had to go off with a hamstring injury. Um, and he literally runs that city midfield. He and they there. take a while to repair the hamstring injuries, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah, it's incredible how, um, how that particular injury is, is sort of a long-term kind of injury. Speaking about injuries, and we've got about 30 seconds uh, left with man. you, Raf and Nadal, he's not going to be playing tennis I know. in the Grand Slam, the first Grand Slam of this year. So it was hoped that Nadal would return for the Australian Open this month, but he picked up an injury in the Brisbane Open. And you know what? It's really sad to hear to, to see this because everyone's really looking forward to Nadal. But you know what? It also shows uh, uh, what it shows, sort of sheds light on is how good Novak Djokovic has been throughout the years. Yeah, how he's kept his body so fit and he hasn't had a major injury. Uh, but yes, Nadal has had a fresh muscle injury at the Brisbane Open, which means that he will not be playing uh, in the Australian Open this year. In fact, he says that he doesn't know what to expect now and when he can come back. Uh, from injury, so a sad sort of day for Nadal fans. But who knows? Maybe he can come back. He's, st- he's currently stuck on a uh, 22 Grand Slams, which is two less than Djokovic. Exactly. So that's, oh, that's so sort he's of the mark he's trying to get. Yeah, yeah. We've got to get Mohammed Suleiman. As always, an absolute pleasure to have you back with us on the radio. Lovely to have you doing our sports bulletin. I know that Jen literally just grabbed you about two minutes yeah, ago. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thank you very no much. So always, always a pleasure, Georgia. Thank you for thank that. Thank you very much indeed.
The Agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.